over at Missouri Southern, um, leading a Bible study and a, and a breakfast for a baseball team there. Uh, the, the coach goes here, Bryce and his family uh, go here, and so we have a chance to, to serve them uh, this morning, and so we sent the team over there. And then had people in the first service, and now happy and, and excited to have you in the second service as we uh, worship in different capacities around the world, I guess, uh, maybe not on the other side of the world, but across the the, uh, the, the south border uh, this morning, worshiping all, of, all around um, as one church in different locations. So uh, it's an exciting time, an exciting place, place to be where God is at work here at Wellspring, and I am privileged to be a part of it. Let's pray this morning, and then we're going to continue working our way through the book of Exodus. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. I, I thank you for our time of worship this morning. And I pray that it was pleasing in your sight. Lord, I pray as we look at your word that, that you would challenge us, you would change us. We would see the picture that you, the plan that you were preparing well before your son ever arrived on the scene. Lord, those that are, are part of Wellspring that call this their, their home church, that are away from us uh, this, this morning, whether they're away for spring break or serving in different places, Lord, I pray you would bless them, that they would carry your name and make it great wherever they are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the last couple weeks, we've been working our way through the plagues. There's been a, a full assault on the Egyptian gods, little g. Uh, there's been a full assault on, on who and what the Egyptians worship. Because God in his mercy knows that, that the weight that the Egyptians place simply cannot hold up. Uh, the gods don't have the power. They don't have the, the strength. To, to see um, or, or to, to, to carry the weight that is placed on them when they are worshipped. And so God in his mercy has sent these nine plagues up to this point. He's turned the water into blood. He's sent frogs and gnats and flies. And uh, the oxen have been uh, uh, killed or, or sent with a, a sickness. And, and this, the plagues have unfolded. And it's all an act of mercy from God because... What they have been worshipping, they being the Egyptians, what they have been worshipping does not have the power to bring fulfillment, to bring joy, to bring satisfaction in their life. God says through the plagues, time after time after time, what you are looking for is found only in me. And so he has sent the plagues, one right after the other, to try and get the Egyptians' attention, and it has not worked. This morning, we come to the final plague, the final stroke, where the, the people of Israel are about to be released after the Passover angel moves through the nation of Egypt. And, and all of this is done in an, in, in an effort to answer a question that was posed by Pharaoh himself. In chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh asked, who is this God, uh, Moses, that you're talking about? And why should I obey him? And God in his mercy shows Pharaoh and the Egypts why he should be worshipped and why he should be obeyed. And this morning, we come to the final stroke. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11 is the final devastating plague that God sends through the nation of Egypt. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 11, here we go. The Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague. 
I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people. When they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold, jewelry. So here's what's going on. God goes to Moses and he says, I'm going to send one more plague. This is going to be the final plague. This is where you're going to be released. But, but before that, before that happens, the, the Egyptians are scared of you. They're scared of all the Israelites. So what I want you to do is go to their neighbors, tell the Israelites to go to their neighbors and ask for all the gold and the, jewel, and the silver jewelry. And they're going to give it to you. I mean, they are scared to death of you. So because of their, 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 their uh, uh, because they're scared of you, because they're nervous when you get around after seeing all these plagues, when you ask for the jewelry, they're just going to hand it over. Now, when I read that, I thought, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of tacky, right? I mean, they're just going to give it to, to them. They don't have to earn it or anything. And, and as I was doing some study, here's what scholar after scholar said. Just think of it as payment for the 430 years of slavery that, that preceded this, this particular moment. For 430 years, the Israelites have, have worked as slaves without any compensation. And now, God in his providence, God in, in, in his, his um, um, watching over the Israelites is providing payment for the work that they have given the Egyptians for 430 years. Eventually, they will take this gold and silver and they'll use it in the tabernacle um, as an aspect of their worship, which we looked at a few weeks ago. So they go to the Egyptians, they get this gold and this silver jewelry. The story continues. Verse 3. And the Lord gave uh, the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. That last little line, in the sight of the people, I think it's referring to the Israelites. That Moses had favor in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of the Israelites. Here's why that, that's important. When Moses was in the wilderness, God came in the burning bush and said, say, and said Moses, I want you to go and release the Israelites. Moses obeyed. He went to Egypt and he got there and he told the Israelites, hey, you've been in bondage for 400 plus years. I am here to release you. I am here to set you free. They got excited. So Moses went on to Pharaoh and he said, hey, I know you've had these guys in bondage for about 430 years, but I'm just here on behalf of God and I want them released. And Pharaoh laughed and said, no, not happening. I'm not letting them go. In fact, I'm going to sentence them to hard labor. And so that's exactly what happened. The Israelites are sentenced to harder labor than they had before. And they're not excited about Moses' plan. In fact, they wish he would have just stayed where he came from. Because Pharaoh sentenced them to hard labor. People lost their lives. People were beaten as a result of Moses showing up. Now... After the plagues, after the nine plagues are over, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh has found favor in the sight of the Israelites. Or excuse me, uh, Moses has found uh, favor in the sight of the Israelites. And we see this doesn't happen very often on this side of eternity, but we see vindication. And I love that in God's providence, he allows Moses to be uh, vindicated, to, to have favor in the sight of the Israelites. This is a great reminder for us. That there are times that we will stand on principle. Not 
Not because we want to, not because we think it's a great idea, not because of our personality, but because of principle, we have to stand. And people will, will turn against us, co-workers, neighbors, maybe even family. But, but it's a reminder that there are times that God will allow vindication to come on this side of eternity. And we can also rest assured that when that does not happen, that vindication is ours on the other side. When we stand on principle and we do what we know God has commanded us to do. Moses is vindicated. The story continues to unfold. Verse 4. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn cattle. Let me quickly explain. What is, why this plague, as horrendous and as devastating as that is, aligns with everything that God has done through the first nine plagues. Remember, God is assaulting the Egyptian gods. And um, one of the most powerful gods that the Egyptians had was the sun god, Ra. R-A, Ra. And they believed that uh, Pharaoh was actually the personification or the manifestation of Ra. He was, um, uh, he was a descendant, a direct descendant of the sun god, Ra, the Egyptians believed. I know it's weird, but that's what they believe. And as a, a result, the practical implication of that is that Pharaoh was responsible for overseeing and protecting every single firstborn in the nation of Egypt. Both man and beast, both, both humans and cattle. Pharaoh was the one responsible for protecting, for overseeing, keeping safe the firstborn, man and cattle. And so God, in his, in his providence, and in his, even in his mercy, is going to show that Pharaoh does not have the power to protect the people. Only God can do that. And, he, and there's a lot of things unfolding in this final plague. But one of the, the plagues, one of the, thing, one of the aspects of the plague that we must remember is that God is still uh, assaulting this belief that Pharaoh and the sun God Ra can protect them. Only God. Sovereign king of the universe has the power to do that. Verse 6. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there never has been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, neither man nor beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all of your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all your people who follow you. After that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Now, Aaron and Moses, after they have delivered the news to Pharaoh, go to the Israelites because God wants them to be prepared. And he gives them instruction about what is to come and how to work uh, or how to be protected from it, how to be covered by it so that this destroyer that's about to show up does not come and enter into their house, taking the firstborn in, of the household. Moses goes and talks to the nation of, of Israel. And we pick up that part of the story in verse 1 of chapter 12. So if you have to turn over or you can continue to follow on, on the, the, the screen. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now Moses and Aaron are talking to the nation of Israel, sharing what's about to come. 
Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. This is so cool to me. They're in the middle of the year. And God says, uh, this is going to be so dramatic. This is going to be so powerful. This is going to be so life-changing that we're going to change the calendar. It's the middle of the year right now for you. But what I want you to do is I want you to switch the calendar over so that this is the first month of the year. In a sense, Israel, you are about to be born again as a nation. I'm about, you're about to be born again. You've been in slavery for all these years. You're about to be set free. You're going to be a, a born again as a nation. So we're going to set the calendar to align with this new birth. Make this the first month of the year. Verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their houses, their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old. You may take from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel, of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So here's what's going on. God tells Moses, and Moses tells the people of Israel, on the tenth day of the month, I want you to go out, and I want you to find a lamb or a goat about a year old. It cannot have any blemishes at all. And I want you to bring it into the house. And it's going to hang out in your house for four days. So from the tenth to the fourteenth, this lamb is going to be a part of your house. It's going to live with you. It's going to stay inside the house. The kids are going to play with it. It's going to be a part of your family in a sense. Now, I'm not much of an animal person, all right? We have a dog. We've had two dogs in our marriage uh, during the, the 12 years that we've been married. The only reason is, my, is Mary Jo got me at a weak point of newlywedded bliss, all right? And, and, and now we have, we've had two dogs. The kids love him. And undoubtedly, undoubtedly, just as the dog in our house has bonded with my kids, Undoubtedly, this little lamb or goat would bond with the kids of every household in the nation of Israel during these four days. It doesn't take long. I've seen it with my own eye. It does not take long for these kids to get attached to animals that are in the house. And undoubtedly, these animals would have attached themselves, or these kids would have attached themselves to these animals over the four days that they were in the house. But God says after four days, after four days, I want you to go and I want you to take the lamb and I want you to kill it. I want you to kill it. And I want you to drain the blood from it. And I can assure you that this was not something that these kids, this nation, the, these people would soon, if ever, forget. I put in my notes... One scholar put it like this. In every home in Egypt that night, there was either going to be a dead lamb or a dead firstborn. And every single firstborn in the family would know from that point forward 
that the reason that they were alive is because a lamb had died in their place. This was a substitution. This was a substitution that instead of the, the firstborn dying, the lamb was going to die in his place. This was a substitution. Now, they didn't understand the picture. They didn't understand what was to come. They didn't have the full picture. They didn't have the, the, the full story yet, but you and I do. And we understand that this was a foreshadow. This was looking forward to, to about, uh, about 2,000 years ahead of this time when Jesus was going to show up as a substitution for every man, woman, and child who would believe. The firstborn would know that the lamb died so that he could live. Verse 7, the story continues to unfold. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. So after they, they take this lamb, after they sacrifice it, after they kill it, they're supposed to drain out the blood. And then they take some of the blood and they put it on the crossbeam or the lintel of the, of the, the, the front door. And then they would take some more blood and they put it on the, the post, the door post, the side post, and cover the household, letting the, 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 the destroyer know that this house has been covered by the blood of the lamb. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread, bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Why roasted? Why does the, this lamb have to be roasted? Why not boil? Why not raw? Well, I, I know why it wouldn't be raw. That's gross. But, but why not boil? Here's why. This lamb went through the judgment that the eldest son, or so that the eldest son would not have to experience it. Fire is always associated with judgment. The judgment that was due the eldest son would fall on the lamb instead as a substitute. The instructions continue. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it. Its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall, eat none, uh, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. So the entire lamb, the entire goat, is going through the judgment of fire in the place of the eldest son. The following verses give very detailed instructions about what God wants the, the, the nation of Israel to do with this lamb. We don't have time to read it this morning, so jump down to verse 21. They've carried out these instructions, and then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Now go, select the lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch it on the lintel and on the doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. And so they take the blood and they apply it. Verse 23, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. When God said that night that the, destroyer, that the destroyer will enter, God is saying, I have, as it were, scrolled ahead and in one night, in one place, 
eternal divine judgment day justice is going to rain down. There will be a temporary but devastating judgment day for the nation of Egypt. And this is a reminder that God takes sin very seriously. He takes sin very seriously. Now, here's, here's the, the ironic thing. You and I hear that and we go, oh man, God takes sin so seriously. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get to work. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to try to keep the rules. I'm going to try to show up to church every single Sunday. I'm not going to miss at all. I'm going to be nice to my neighbors. I'm going to treat my kids the way I, will, I wish my parents had treated me. And in doing so, instead of raising the bar of sin, we're actually lowering it. And we think, you know what? Um, I, I, can, I can measure up. I can do my best. I can keep all the rules. And we lower the bar for sin. We think we can measure up. And this is a story that reminds us, no, God takes sin so seriously that there has to be a payment that is in blood. We will never measure up. Because sin costs way too much. There was only one way that they were going to survive the destroyer. There was only one way, and that was under the blood of the Lamb. To which I respond, a Lamb? I mean, really, the weakest, mildest animal there is, a lamb? And God declares, once and for all, yes. The only way the eldest son will survive the destroyer is under the blood of the lamb. Jump down to verse 29. At midnight... The Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Justice <coughs> fell. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And they, there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Now this is so important. This is so important. The destroyer on, on the appointed night, the, the destroyer comes through Egypt. And every single house that does not have blood on the doorpost and blood on the lintel, the destroyer enters the house and the eldest son is killed. Now, this is important to understand. This is not just the Egyptians. This destroyer is not a respecter of humans. It's not a respecter of persons. Not a respecter of men. It's not like God was sending the destroyer to kill all the, uh, the eldest um, sons or, or, or the eldest uh, cat, uh, uh, cattle of the Egyptians at the expense of the Israelites. The destroyer, I, I, I just want to remind you, is not a respecter of persons. It does not matter what the color, the creed, the language, the nationality of the household is. Whether they are Israelite or, they are, or, or whether they are Egyptians. It does not matter. 
If there is not blood on the doorpost, the destroyer will enter in and kill the eldest son as a payment for sin. Now, as the story unfolds, all the Israelites place the blood over the doorpost. And the Egyptians do not. But we must remember that the, the destroyer is not a respecter of humans. He's not a respecter of humans. Every single house had, to, had a payment for sin. It was either the eldest son or it was the substitute lamb. Every single one of them in that nation that night. Verse 31. Then he, Pharaoh, summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. He said, Get out of here. You have caused this nation nothing but destruction. Leave and don't look at me again. We want you gone. There has been nothing but heartache. There's been nothing but loss. And we are ready for you to get out of here. And so Moses begins to pack up with the nation of Israel and they begin to leave. And they leave behind a nation heartbroken and destroyed. Now, when modern people hear this story, And maybe you're in this group this morning. You go, God, that's a little bit extreme. I mean, uh, modern people hear that story and they go, God, why can't you just be like me and get over it? I mean, why, why go to such a great heartache to prove that sin is important to you? Just get over it like I do. God, if you could be more like me, this world would make a lot more sense. This morning, I want to very, very quickly, I want to make an argument that there is no such thing as just getting over it. When there is a wrong committed, when there is, is a sin that is committed, a sin that is done, there is always, always a payment that must be made. Let me give you an easy example first. Suppose... That you um, need some furniture. you, you got to go to the store, pick up some furniture, and then take it back to your house. And so you um, say, I know what. I know Scott has uh, an SUV and a trailer. So I'm going to borrow it. And so you call me up and you say, hey, I know, I know this is kind of weird, but, but um, we need to borrow your car. And we need to borrow your trailer. We've got some furniture that we need to go pick up. Would you mind if we do it? If we, if we borrow it? Well, we have a rule. If you need to use it, you can use it. So, I say yes, we're not using the car. You can have it for the afternoon. So you come over to my house. You pick up my car. You pick up my trailer. You head to the, the furniture store. You pick up the, the furniture, take it to your house. And then you head back to pick up your car and drop off mine back at my house. On the way, you get in an accident. And you're like, oh my goodness, I have wrecked Scott's car. 
And so you call me on the phone and you say, Scott, I've got terrible news for you. I have wrecked your car. I will pay for it. I'll call my insurance. I've got coverage. Don't worry about it. I will pay for it. And I'd say, thanks. I appreciate that. We'll work it out when you get here. And then we work it out. You have the, the car paid for. You, you have it sent to the, the body shop. It's all fixed up. Everything's good to go. You have paid for the wreck. There's, there was a wrong that was committed. Not, not on purpose, but there was a wrong that was committed. And you paid for it. Now, that's not the only way that the car can be paid for. There's two other ways. Number one, another way is this. You can call me up and you can say, Scott, I wrecked your car. I don't have money. I don't have insurance. I am in trouble. And I go, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll get it taken care of. I'll get it taken care of. I, I will pay for it to be fixed. Now, was that, was that debt just forgiven? Did it just go away? No. What happened was I paid for the debt myself. Now, we do have one more option. We could just leave the car wrecked. And maybe it works because it gets wrecked. But that doesn't make the, the wrong just go away. I am paying for it myself by, by, by driving a car that is in worse condition than, I loaned, than when I loaned it to you. But in, in any of those circumstances, in any of those situations, the wrong just didn't just go away. Somebody paid the debt. It had to be paid by somebody. Let me give you a, maybe a, a more difficult situation. One that doesn't have a, something involved, a, something physical involved. Suppose that somebody that, that you love um, uh, treated you poorly, physically, emotionally, psychologically. Somebody, somebody wronged you. And you decide, you know what? I'm going to get them back. I'm going to pay them back. And here's how I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to treat them badly. Every time that they come around, I'm going to give them the cold shoulder. I'm going I'm to treat them poorly by giving them the cold shoulder. And every time they come around and every time you ignore them, in your mind there's this ledger and you're paying down the debt a little bit at a time and paying down the debt a little bit at, at, the t at a time until you feel like the, the ledger has been balanced. Or you're just mean to them. Every time they come around, your, 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 your uh, spouse or your parents or your kids or your, your siblings, every time they come around, you're just mean to them. And every time you're mean to them, in your mind, the ledger is being paid down a little bit until there's a balance, until the debt has been paid back for the wrong that they committed against you. Now, this morning, we don't have the time to talk about this, but that makes you a hard person. You just, you just decide, you know what, I'm going to be a hard person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat them poorly, and, and I'm going to treat them poorly until I finally have paid back the debt that they owe me. That makes you a hard person. It makes relationships difficult. And we'll have to talk about that more at some other point. But there is another option. There's another way to pay down the debt for the wrong that was committed against you. It's just to, to forgive them. It's to forgive them. It's, it's so that every time that that person comes to your mind, you're saying, um, I, I'm not going to hold that wrong that they committed against me. I'm not going to hold it against them anymore. I'm not going to hold, hold it against them anymore. And you know what you're doing? You're paying down the debt yourself. Through forgiveness. But in either situation, there is no such thing as just letting it go. When a wrong is committed, there is always a payment. There is always a debt. 
and it must be paid. Let me give you one more example. Suppose a terrible, terrible person decides they want to take, take a, an explosive and blow up a, a bus with kids on it. Just the worst atrocity you can think of. And the evidence is overwhelming. I mean, this guy that, they, that the authorities found committed it. No doubt about it. And so they, they go, they find the guy, they arrest him, and they bring him before the judge. And the judge is sitting there, on, 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 there in his courtroom, and, and he's sitting there on his, on his uh, judgment seat. And they bring this guilty man. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. They bring this guilty man before the judge. And the judge says, what do you have to say for yourself? And this guy, through tears, says, I did it. I am the one who committed the crime. And the judge stands up and says, sir, I can tell that you're sorry. I mean, I know, I know all the lives of those kids, but I can tell in your deep, the deepest part of your soul, you are sorry. So you know what? I'm just going to let you go. And society would be outraged. Why? Because society is paying a debt that they don't owe. And this guy has a debt that the judge has allowed him to get off from paying. The, the society is paying the debt that the man who committed the crime owes. And the, and, and, and the, 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 the culture, the society is outraged by it. Here is my point with all three examples. There is no such thing as just letting it go when a sin or a wrong has been committed. And if that is true between humans in relationships, how much more must it be true with the God of the universe? The perfect, righteous judge. How much more must it be true? That there is no such thing as just letting it go. When there is a debt, it must always be paid. But here's the amazing point of the story. God sends his one and only son. His name's Jesus. He's born of a virgin Mary. He slips into the sandals of humanity. He becomes one of us. He lives on this earth 33 years, and he does so perfectly, never sinning, never committing a wrong, never doing anything against another person. And yet he goes to the cross, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And he sheds his own blood for you and for me. And the rest of the story is that whoever will hide under the blood of that lamb, the perfect lamb, the lamb who was slain will escape divine just punishment. That we are due. That whoever will allow Jesus to be our substitute, just as 
In the book of Exodus, the lamb was the substitute for the firstborn, for the eldest son. Whoever will trust in him will not face, face God's wrath. Because that wrath was poured out on Jesus in our place. The Israelites and the Egyptians didn't have that picture. They couldn't have seen it. They couldn't have understood it. But that lamb that was slain in those Israelite houses took the punishment that was due to the eldest son. And 2,000 years later, Jesus took the, 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 the pain, took the death, took the sacrifice that was due you and me, that, that, that we owe. He did it in our place. He was our substitute. And so this morning, if you know Christ, we're going to respond in a little bit of a different way than we normally do. We're going to respond by coming to a revised Passover meal. We're going to respond by coming to the Lord's table. And this will be an opportunity for us, just through our actions and in our prayers, to say, God, thank you for sending your son to do what that lamb did for the eldest son, took his place. Took the wrath so that the eldest son might go free. God, thank you for sending your son to take your wrath so that I might go free. And so that's how we're going to respond this morning. I'm going to pray. Phil is going to come and he's going to start to, to, to sing, to play a little bit. As soon as that happens, in response to this truth that has been presented in God's word, I would invite you to come. If you know Christ this morning, if you've been covered by the blood of the Lamb, if we can use the vernacular of the story, if you've been covered by the blood of the Lamb, if your, your sin has been washed away by placing your faith in Christ, I would invite you to respond this morning to, to God's word by coming to the Lord's table to this revived Passover meal. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. And I thank you for the picture that you gave us and you gave the Israelites of a coming truth, the truth of your son. Father, this morning I pray that each and every person in here would know what it means to find forgiveness, to find rest, to find their hope in you and the work that you did on the cross on our behalf. When you took the wrath that we deserve so that we might go free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.